Well, today we're finishing up our series called Uncommon Sense. We've been looking at wisdom, and uh, for a few weeks ago, our creative team was just kind of wrestling what would be a creative way to introduce the subject matter that we're going to be talking about. And so, any guesses? Money. Money. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about how to make sense with sense is what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at this very subject. And so, you know, as I think about money, it seems like there's just a lot of different advice out there when it comes to money. And, and one of those pieces of advice that I've heard in my lifetime is this, that, that when you borrow, always borrow from a pessimist. And you might wonder, well, why? Why would I borrow from a pessimist? Because they will never expect you to pay them back. <laughs> Probably not the best advice to preach, but, but it's just one of those pieces of advice that's out there. Also, Bill Murray, he's somebody that he has said this, if you really want to help teach your kids about taxes, because when our kids are young, they're growing up, and they really don't understand tax, he says, just every time you give them ice cream, eat 30% of them, and then let them know, hey, I'm just trying to teach you about taxes, you know? And so there's just different advice that, that, that's out there. You know, and, and, and money, money isn't everything, but, but it'll always keep our adult kids coming back, you know? So, um, yeah, money. So, well, we're going to be talking about money this morning, and, and as we think about money, that you might not know this, but when we look throughout the pages of our Bible, both the Old Testament and the New, that there are over 2,000 references when you look at money and possession, when you combine those two ideas, money and possessions, over 2,000 references that, that are teaching us what it is to, that we should be doing when it comes to money and possessions. If you, if you narrow that down and go, okay, well, what if, what if we just looked at money alone? There's over 800 references to money when we look at just money. That Jesus is somebody that, that he taught on money. In fact, that money is the second most referenced teaching that we have in our Bible. The first is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Those are the same thing, but just said two different ways. That, that's what's the, the single most talked about subject in our Bible. But the second is money. Jesus, when he would teach, he, he would teach and he would use these things called parables. And if you're not familiar with what a parable is, that it would be like a fable. It would be this, this made up story. And, and he would make up a story in order to teach a point. And he did 39 parables when we read throughout the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and see what are the different things that Jesus taught. 39 different parables. 11 of those, or 28%, involved money. It's something that Jesus taught about. And so that we're going to take some time, and, and we're going to be looking at this, and looking at what it means to be able to be a money manager, to be a steward, that, that we would be managers of a financial resource. And we all have different amounts that we manage, and I know that chances are, whether you're watching us, joining us online, or whether you are here in the room, that there are going to be some people that the very subject of money, just blood pressure goes up, stress levels go up. It's just, you know, you're hearing what we're talking about, and now you're already stressed just knowing what we are talking about. And I don't want this to be something that's going to bring stress into your life. In fact, I actually want it to be something that today that you would find some encouragement and some inspiration when it comes to money and money management and money choices. And chances are there's some people that are listening or people that are watching and people that are here and that you're at the place that you're going, 
Um, well, I'm doing pretty good with my money management. I, I, I think I've got that under control. I got good handles on it. We're just, we're just kind of moving on. It's smooth sailing. And, and if that's where you are, that's great. And I would just encourage you to just kind of evaluate where you're at when it comes to your money management. Evaluate it with the things that we're going to be talking about today. Because we're going to be looking at seven ways to make sense with sense. That that's what we're going to be looking at. Is, and, and as we look at these, we're going to be looking where we've been looking this whole entire series. We're going to be looking at this Old Testament book, this book of wisdom called Proverbs. And we're going to be looking in this book of Proverbs where Solomon, King Solomon, who's the wisest person that, that was certainly that had walked the planet as a human being throughout the whole Old Testament. And he has some things that he wants to say about money. And that would be enough that we would go, hey, let's bend our ears and let's listen. But there's something else about Solomon that you should know that should cause you to go, well, if he has some things to say about money, I think I want to listen. And that is that he was also the wealthiest person when we read throughout our Old Testament. There was nobody that had more financial resource than King Solomon. And so here's a guy, he's got all of this wisdom and he's got all of this wealth. And I think that that is a person that, that if we could actually sit and learn something from them, that there are some great things that we could learn when it comes to money management. When it comes to what is it that we're going to do with how we manage what we manage. Because some of us in this room, that, that we're managing more right now than what we have ever managed in our lifetime. There, there are some people in the room that, that you're not managing as much as what you used to manage at one time. But we all have a resource that we are managing. And so let's look and see what are these principles, what are these things that, that Solomon really wanted us to know when it comes to imparting this wisdom to us. Because we need to know how do we manage money and how do we manage it well. Because if we can do this, then it can help us with our stress level. That when we manage money, our stress level goes down. That when we manage money well, it, it gives us the ability to handle a financial emergency much better than if we haven't been managing it well. That when it comes to managing it, if, if we need to borrow, we're in a better place to be able to borrow. And when it comes to managing money well, it's something that it gives us not just a willingness, but an ability to be generous and to be helping others in their times of need. And so as we look at these seven ways to make sense with sense, this first one is store up for the future. That we would, take, we would store up, that we would whittle away a little bit and then put it aside and prepare for the future. That the Federal Reserve recently released a report and said that only 36% of American households have the resource to handle a $400 emergency without going into debt for it. That, that only 36% of Americans have access to $400 cash to be able to help when there is an emergency. That, that also what they found is 78% of Americans have savings accounts. But yet, when we look at that, less than half of them 
actually have something in there that's going to be able to help them when an emergency comes along that is only a $400 emergency. So let's look at what Solomon had to say when it comes to store up for the future. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. What he's saying is, is the foolish consume everything that's right there for it, and they just take it all and they just use it all and they burn right through it. But, but the, the wise, that they look at everything and say, oh, we're, we're gonna store some of this up. We're, we're not gonna consume it all. We're not gonna use it all, but we're going to store some of this up, storing up for the future. You know, I think we, we actually were given a, uh, quite a lesson here in America when it comes to storing up about a year and a half ago because all of a sudden, all of us were facing this reality of that we couldn't get our hands on this little white roll of toilet paper. Right? And, and there were some people that had it, you know, and they, they were storing it up and, and they had it. And then there were others that were going, um, you know, I really need it. And, and, and so people were just constantly tweeting and posting and saying, hey, they've got it right here, you know, and, and people trying to help each other out so they can get, they can put limits on what you could get and what you could acquire. Well, why did they put limits on it? <clears throat> because some people weren't just storing up, some people were hoarding up, right? And, and, and they weren't just going, hey, here, here's my little linen towel closet with my extra package of toilet paper, but it was, here's the spare bedroom and the walk-in closet, and there's all of my toilet paper. And they were hoarding up instead of storing up. And so we're, we're being told and being instructed that what, what should we do? We, we should store up for the future, but we shouldn't hoard up because when we're hoarding it up, we're doing it to somebody else's detriment. But when we're storing up, we're not doing it to anybody else's detriment, and we are also helping ourselves. So store up for the future. It's one of these seven ways to make sense with sense. A second way is choose people over profits. That we would do this. We would actually go, hey, people are more important than profits. Now, don't get me wrong. A for-profit organization is responsible to make a profit, right? They need to be doing that. But they don't have to do that at the expense of people. That we can do both. We're choosing people over profit. We're not choosing people instead of profit, but we're going, hey, we're going to prioritize people first and profits second. And that we're going to care for people. That I'm not saying profits instead of people, Okay, that we're just putting people first before we put the profits. And when we put people first, the employees actually love coming to work. They love what they're doing. They love being part of the organization. And they don't dread it, but they enjoy it. They brag about where it is that they work. That when we put people first, customers are happier that they have a more pleasant experience. They enjoy the process a whole lot more. When we put people first, it just shows what we value most. And people are attracted to organizations that value people more than they value profits. And that there is something for us to benefit from this. That Solomon actually wrote about this, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 6, 26, I'm sorry, verse 26. People Curse the one who hoards grain, 
but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell it. On the one that has created some kind of organized business model and said, hey, we've worked for this, we're willing to sell it, yes, we're gonna make a profit, but we wanna still do this in a way that's gonna be mutually beneficial. And what happens, people will pray over those people, but people get cursed when it is, I'm just hoarding for myself. And every day, we get a choice. Are we going to be honest or are we going to be deceptive? Am I going to value people or am I going to value money? That every day, we face this choice. And if we commit to being honest, we commit to telling the truth, we commit to valuing others, that's when we will win. What will we win? We're gonna win the trust of others. That's one of the things that we get to win, that we're going to win more business. What are we gonna win? We're gonna win more peace of mind when what we do is that we value people, we value integrity, we value honesty, and we put all of these ahead of profit. There's this quote from Dale Partridge says, the thirst for more is not evil itself, but it is often the gateway to something that is. And Dale Parcher wrote the book, People Over Profit, Break the Systems, Live with Purpose, Be More Successful. And we do that not by striving to have more profit. We, we do that by striving to be more to others, and we put people over profit. And when we do, that people, would, they, they feel more valued. People that work for the organization, they'll end up working harder because they feel valued by the organization. If you're a manager, if you're a business owner, it's so important that you know this and that you understand this because if you'll put people over profit, you'll end up seeing what you want from the people actually begin to take place. They'll work with more integrity when it comes to coming into the workplace and what it is that they'll do. They'll work with more intentionality. They'll work with more passion when they see and they know that you value them more than you value a prophet. And it's why we put people over profit. And when it comes to the customers, when they see this, what are they gonna do? Well, they're gonna tweet about it. They're gonna post it. They're gonna talk about it. Their loyalty is gonna increase and they're just gonna keep coming back. Choose people over profit. And so the third one, as we look at these seven ways to make sense with sense, is be careful about borrowing. That, that we would just exercise caution, that we would be careful with this. In fact, let, let me just kind of share some, some full disclosure with you. And some of you guys might not even like this, might be a little uncomfortable with this, but, but I'm just gonna share with you that, that Cheryl and I have debt. And, and let me tell you about the debt that we have. We have eight homes that we owe on all eight of them. And, and we rent out homes. We also have one vehicle that we have a car payment for. And that is the extent of our debt. And when it comes to even having a vehicle that, that we owe on, I, I don't have time and it'd be way too complicated for me to explain this to you. But we have that debt because it's actually to our financial benefit that we pay far less in taxes every year by having that vehicle financed than what we would pay 
than what we do pay in interest. And so it truly is a financial advantage for us because of how we have some things structured financially and what the IRS allows us to do with that. And so we just need to be careful. Now, now I believe in a guy named Dave Ramsey and, and, and principles that he teaches, but he would never approve of my one car debt and he would never approve of our eight homes that we owe on. And so we just need to be careful. We need to exercise caution. Be careful when it comes to borrowing and knowing what we're doing and how we're doing it. Now, I was not always at this place. In fact, when Cheryl and I got married, one of the things that I brought with me was $60,000 of debt. That's what I brought to the marriage. (laughs) My in-laws are here. They're like going, why are we just now hearing about this? Um, Well, not only that, but, but when we got Cheryl's ring, because we went shopping together and I put it on my credit card, and when she finally realized what my situation was, she was like, uh, uh, I'll pay for that. <laughs> and uh, she ended up paying for her own engagement ring. I, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm not saying this with joy and pride. I'm, I'm, I'm humble in the way that I'm telling you. Let me tell you, I, I've been at a place that, that is not good. In fact, one year into our marriage, and Cheryl didn't want this, and I was just kind of taking the reins and leading things, and I had gotten a promotion, and, and so we had more money coming at us, and so instead of working on that $60,000 in debt that I still wasn't paying anything on, we went out and we financed a boat. But, but when we got the boat, we, we, when we were committed to buying a boat, we had to also buy a new vehicle and put us in more debt vehicle-wise, but we had two vehicles that we were paying on. That, that, that was our situation. Uh, eventually, what happened? Well, we went out and bought a camper and financed it too. I mean, I, I was not at a good place. But I'm telling you, something changed and God really got a hold of me when it comes to how is it that we are managing money? I, I really became a, a big fan of, of most principles of Dave Ramsey. And, and we really started working, working a plan. When we committed to paying off the 60,000, we're just getting started somewhere. Let's just, let's commit to getting rid of that. We're just gonna status quo everything else and let's commit to paying this thing off. We thought it was gonna take five years to pay that off. We paid it off in 30 months because God just started blessing us with more. And, and as we started getting blessed with more that we didn't see coming, we gave God 10%, we tithed on it. We paid the IRS what the IRS got and we gave everything else to that debt. We were on a roll. And so not only did we finish that, we just kept plugging at it and going away. And, and we ended up taking a boat and getting rid of that note. We ended up going from two cars to one car. We, we just started knocking it out. And it just began to change the way that we approached how are we going to leverage money? How are we gonna use it? How are we gonna borrow it? How are we not going to borrow it? Listen, I... I want to share this with you. It's from Earl Wilson. There's so much power in what he says. He said, this world would be much, would be a much better world. This would be a much better world if more married couples were as deeply in love as they are in debt. That on one hand, we want to laugh about it, you know, and some of us are like going, can I, I need to laugh because I don't want to cry. And I think there's so much truth to this. And, and maybe you're like where, where I was and where I drug Cheryl into. And it's just getting all of this debt to have all this stuff so that we can enjoy each other and enjoy our family. 
while we're adding so much stress to our lives. That, that's what we were doing and how I was dragging Cheryl into this. Listen, borrowing money is not a sin. It's not a sin. Nowhere in scripture are we gonna see that is a sin. But also, it's hard to find in scripture where it is wise. And wisdom and sin, they're, they're not equal. They're not on equal playing field. But just because something's not sin doesn't mean we shouldn't look at it from a wisdom standing and go, hey, what should we do with that? Because I can tell you there is something freeing about living within your means. There is something freeing about living with financial margin. And I had no idea how freeing it was until we put ourselves in a position and it took work and it took years, but it has paid off big time but it takes being committed to it Solomon also said in Proverbs 22 7 the rich rule over the poor and the borrow is slave to the lender anybody have a guess who quotes that more than anybody Dave Ramsey he he quotes it more than anybody He, he, he has helped millions of people have placectomies, you know, cutting up their credit cards, placectomy, getting rid of the plastic and, and, and not having that debt anymore. Help millions of people get out of debt from car loans. Get, help millions of people start moving toward living in a paid for home. He has done much for us. And let me share with you a, a quote that, that he is known for. And he says, live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. And, and, and the context of this is that if you're at a place where, where you've got some of this debt, that, that you would go, you know, we're going to start just working on paying that off. And, and, and you're going to say no to a lot of things. You're going to be driving something that people are going, don't you work for them? And can't you afford more than that? That you're going, no, I'm not, I'm not living like that right now. I'm living like nobody else right now, and I'm, I'm living way under my means, and we're getting rid of all of this so that we have the freedom to live like no one else when everything that we do is paid for. There's so much value to this. And so be careful that we just don't get so comfortable with debt that what we do is every purchase decision is just turning to financing it. That, that, that one of the things that, that sets apart people that they're going, hey, I, I really want to manage my money well from people that just averagely manage their money. The average money manager asks, how much is this going to cost me a month? And they just think in terms of monthly obligations and monthly commitments. But your person that's way above average when it comes to managing money, they don't just say what's the monthly, they want to know what's the total cost. What is going to be the total expense of this when it's all said and done? Whether I'm paying cash for it, whether I'm going to rapidly buy it down, whatever that is, what is going to be the total cost? It's a change in mentality. It's detrimental to our financial health to make borrowing a habit. And so maybe that's a habit that we need to break. It's detrimental to our financial health to be paying interest on something that we could have just taken several months, maybe even a couple of years to save up for and to not have to pay any interest 
for it. It's detrimental to our financial health to miss a payment because we're living with zero to little margin and trying to manage every little piece based on every time that paycheck falls and what we've got to do and how we've got to move it around. It is detrimental not just to our financial health, to our physical health to be living that way as well. So Solomon also wrote and he said in Proverbs 28, 26 and 27, do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. That missed payments have consequences. And so we just need to look at this and go, I need to be careful about what I am borrowing. Here's the fourth one. Avoid bribery. Right about now, a lot of you guys are going, whew, I can feel good about myself because that's just one I, I, I don't dabble with. You know, and I, I think that, that our, our culture, especially me, I, I use this word actually rather loosely, bribery. In fact, um, my daughter and I often uh, engage in things where it seems like we're often bribing each other. And uh, again, in a very lighthearted way. So when, uh, when Mary was, was going to college, she went to go to the same college, A&M, whoop, that her brother went to. And he was already there. He was in the Corps of Cadets. And uh, both of our kids, they had to pay half of their first car. They had to pay cash. They couldn't finance it. And that's how they got their first car. Now, Noah had prepared and saved up and got himself a fairly reliable car. And, and Miri, um, well, she turned 16 and she didn't have a car. Um, and she finally started getting a little motivated to get a little money. And so she did. She got a little bit of money. And so we ended up buying a car that was over 200,000 miles on it. And it was a lot older than what Noah's was. And, and it was fine for her to be driving around locally. Well, <clears throat> Noah, his car that he had bought, and well, he ended up getting to a place where that car needed some major repair. And we were committed to paying the repairs on it until he graduated from, from college. Well, we decided, yeah, that's not worth putting the money into. So we upgraded his ride. Well, Miri watched all of that. And so her senior year, she's like, <clears throat> uh, she goes to her mom. She doesn't come to her dad. Mom, don't you think I'm going to need a safer car? Because you're going to want me to travel back home and see you. And, you know, and this car is probably not going to, you know. And, and so she just starts tugging on her mama's heartstrings. And, and so then Cheryl has the conversation with me. And it's like, ah, uh, you know. And so, so, so we end up coming together. And again, a little bribe here going. I'm like going, okay, Mary, if if you will go your first year of college without a car, then we will upgrade your ride. Share with your brother. He was in the Corps of Cadets, and so he didn't have any time, and so he couldn't really use his car. And so she just was able to share that with him. Well, then it came time to buy her car. And as we went to go buy her car, she was locked in on getting a crossover. And I'm locked in on getting a cash car and to me, that's going to be a sedan. And it's going to be used. And so just, just going out. And so we're going looking. And I keep walking over to the sedan. She keeps walking over to the crossovers. And, and we're like, no, no, you look up. No, no, come look at this. And, and so I finally laid out, this is the budget. This is all I'm spending. I'm not spending more than this. And so instead of her going and looking at newer, lesser mile crossovers, she just started looking at older, higher mileage crossovers. Because she was convinced that she wanted a crossover. And again, we're going to keep this car running while she's in college at our expense. 
And so I'm still wanting to get a sedan that I can get as a cash car that's going to be reliable, newer, lesser miles. We're still gonna pay cash for it and she's gonna be able to go to college with this thing and be able to drive back and forth and see her mama, right? And so <clears throat> we just are button heads. And, and she's just like, she just, she is so locked in on getting this crossover. And I just said to her, well, the money's gotta come from somewhere. Where, where, where's the money coming from? And I think it was her. I think she was the one that, that continued this conversation in the direction it ended up heading in. She was doing college in three and a half years. And she said, what if I commit to doing college in three years? Would there be money then that we could do that? And we were paying cash for college. We weren't going into debt for that. And so... So I did my head, I did a quick calculation of how much a total semester cost. I cut it in half and added that to what I would spend on her car. And she smiled big and grinned and said, deal. And so that's what we did. So we were able to go get a crossover. And so, but while we're looking, she's in this major negotiation mode. And so she starts negotiating with me on something else. And <clears throat> we had talked before that I would pay her first semester of grad school tuition if she did it in three and a half years. And so she's like going, well, what about instead of that, if you would double my wedding budget? Because I had told her since she was eight years old what her wedding budget is. And, 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 and she's like, even at eight years of old, she's like, that's not gonna do much. And then I looked at her and I said, Miri, I've already factored in inflation. And so we ended up working through that whole thing too. And, and we loosely call it bribes and how we bribe each other and everything, but, but, but we're not really bribing each other. And so Solomon's talking about bribery in a real sense of what bribery is. And he's telling us we need to avoid this. So Proverbs 17, eight, a bribe is seen as a charm by the one who gives it. And they think success will come at every turn. Hey, I'm gonna charm somebody else with a little cash and you're gonna do this for me. And that's how they look at it. And they think, hey, I'm just gonna keep reaping success. And later on in that same chapter, verse 23, the wicked accept bribes in secret to pervert the course of justice. And so bribes, they're referred to as the this, this secret charm and, and, and a wicked person that does the receiving. And those are things we shouldn't be doing. Should, can we bargain and can we negotiate? Absolutely. But do not bribe and do not blackmail. Number five, seven ways to make sense with sense is provide for the poor. That, that, that we would care enough about others that we would provide for the poor. That we would be in a position, we go, hey, I'm always going to have a little something that I'm going to be able to help somebody else who is really in need, who has less than we have. In Proverbs 21, verse 13, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. That when we find ourselves in a difficult time, that if we just keep closing our ears to the poor, then who's going to listen to us when we find ourselves in a time of need? That we really do have an opportunity before us when it comes to poor and being able to provide for them, whether it's somebody who is temporarily poor or whether it's somebody that's trapped in poverty. 
that for us it's, it's an opportunity for us to help them in a tangible way and share the love of Christ with them. That I told you earlier about how we as a church, that, that we help two different families keep their electric bill on, keep, keep that going, keep their electricity on by paying their electric bill this week. And we had something happen that just hadn't happened in the 19-year history of Crosspoint. That we pray with them when we do this. And, and after we did all of this, this one individual said, can I pray for you? Never had that happen before. And I listened to her and she, she prayed a blessing over me. She prayed a blessing over Crosspoint and our ministry here. Because we were helping her that she was temporarily poor, and that we as a church, that we were helping her. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. That these are things we should be doing. That, that we would we would store up for the future. We would choose people over profit. That this is something that we would value. That, that we would be careful with a borrowing, that, that we would avoid bribery, that we would provide for the poor. And the sixth one is use caution when co-signing. That, that we need to use caution here. Now, our son Noah, just a couple of months ago, called me up and said, hey dad, um, I'm at the car dealer and uh, trading in the Jeep and, uh, you know, I... Uh, want to know, will you, will you co-sign for me? And I paused. Because I was like, not sure that I just heard what he said. And, and I heard it clearly, and so then I wanted him to hear my answer very clearly. No. That was my answer. No, I, I, I won't co-sign. It's like, ah. Oh. He says, well, they're just telling me I can get a much better interest rate if I have a co-signer. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not co-signing for you. And I, then I said, well, how much, how much do you need? And he says, well, no more than $10,000. And so I said, I'll let you borrow it. I'm not going to co-sign, but I'll let you borrow it. And his response was, oh, good, because I won't have to pay any interest that way. And I responded, oh, this is a business transaction. You will be paying interest. He's like, oh. Well, he, he called me back later as everything kind of shook out. And you know, all he needed was $2,000. That, that was what he was short. And uh, he called me and he goes, all right, Dad, I just need 2000 And I've already done the math because I told him 3%. I did interest. And he goes, I've already done the math. And uh, it's, it's going to be a total of $60 because I'm going to pay you back in four months. So I'm going to pay you five fifteen a month. And I was like, dad's soft spot hit me right about then. And I was like, okay, well, if you're going to just borrow two and you're going to pay me back in, in four, we'll make four months, same as cash. And so I did not end up charging any interest. So I'm not as bad of a person as I make myself out to be sometimes. So <clears throat> I had a little, little bit of, of sympathy for him. But, but really, we, we, do, we do need to use caution when co-signing. That, that, that I know somebody who's very close to me, very near and dear to me, that, that he's been a co-signer. And, and, I, and I've watched the, the hardship that he's gone through because he does have a huge soft spot for others. And, and I watched him do a, do a co-sign for somebody else on a vehicle. 
And that person reached a point where they just really didn't care anymore and they were ready to let their vehicle go. And they stopped making their payments. And, and I watched as this person's going, I don't know what to do. I don't, do I protect my credit and make my payment? Make his payment? Or do I just let it go and don't, don't worry about my credit? That, that we really do, we, we need to use caution. I know some of you guys are gonna be like, I'm the enemy now because some of you guys are already in conversations and going, I'm gonna help this family member. Gonna do, you know. I'm not telling you not to. I'm just telling you, use caution with co-signing because I think that's what Solomon really wanted us to understand. In fact, let's look at what he said in Proverbs 17, 18. One who has no sense shakes hands in pledge and puts up security for a neighbor. And, and Solomon, who's this wise one, he's saying, what, who is it that does that? He says, the person who has no sense. They, they might have a big heart, lots of compassion, but they have no sense. All right, let's look at the last one. Give generously. That, that Solomon really wanted us to understand. One of the ways that we need to make sense with sense is that we would give generously. The most attractive people on the planet are the generous people. There is nothing more beautiful than a person choosing to be generous. And, and that Solomon wanted us to know some things about this. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. That there's something about that, that when we give freely, that, that some kind of abundance comes our way. And, and maybe that abundance will be finances, but maybe it'll be something far better. Maybe it'll be an abundance of joy. An, an abundance of, of just being able to enjoy this life that we're living. In the 1700s, there was a famous French philosopher, Denis Diderot. He was in his 50s, and his daughter was getting married. But he didn't have, he was poor, and he didn't have the money to pay her dowry. So Catherine the Great heard about all of this and respected him and had read some of his encyclopedia that he had written. And so she had somebody reach out to him on her behalf and she offered to buy his library for $154,000 of, of American value today is what that would be. And he was so grateful and he took that and he used some of that to pay his, his daughter's dowry. And, and after he paid that, he still had some left over. He'd always just lived a simple life. And he decided, I'm gonna do something for myself. So he goes and he buys this red robe, this red velvet robe, it's the nicest thing he's ever owned. And, and he buys that thing and, and he just begins to enjoy that for this period of time. And, and one day as he's sitting in this old straw chair, he's like, that chair is not worthy of this robe. And so he goes out and he buys a new leather chair. And he brings that leather chair in, they set it down on that old nappy rug, carpet. And just after a little bit of time, he's like going, 
that rug is not worthy for this chair. So he gets rid of the rug and he goes and buys a, a much more beautiful, more worthy carpet rug to put there. Well, he's sitting in that chair and it's on that carpet and he can look out and he can see his kitchen and he sees this rickety old kitchen table. He's like, I need a new table. And it just kept going and going to where he bought new statues and, and, and new paintings and every and, and, and the room was just beautiful. Everywhere that he looked. Well, that has been called the Diderot effect. And what is this Diderot effect? The Diderot effect is when you go out and you buy something, you acquire something, you get this one thing. And then once you have this thing, you start looking around and going, wow, everything's kind of pale when compared to this. And so then you upgrade another thing and then you got to upgrade. And it just kind of puts you on a spending spree. And I think the Diderot effect is what keeps most Americans from being generous. That, that we just keep going, <clears throat> but, but I, I want to upgrade this, and, and I want to upgrade it. And, and, and we just keep doing this instead of saying, you know, I'm going to set aside a slice of this so that I can just be generous. And until you really start being generous, and, and you really get to experience the joy in generosity, that you won't know what you're missing out on. I'll share two more passages with you and we'll be done. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, Solomon said, a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So there's probably a lot of us in here today, if we were being honest, we'd go and I really need a refreshing in my life. And it's when we refresh others that's when we're going to be refreshed. That, that what is it that we could be doing to be refreshing others? And the last proverb I'll share with you as we wrap up uncommon sense is Proverbs 22.9. The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. The generous will be blessed. Those who refresh others they will be refreshed. I want to encourage you guys, be generous. And, and we can be generous with our money. We can be generous with the talent, with the skills that God's given us. We can be generous with our time, but be generous. And watch what you will end up reaping when you're generous. That one of the opportunities that you have to be generous around here is next month, July 30th, we're going to be doing KCCP, Kids Crazy Community Party. We're going to be doing the summer version of KCCP. And, and it's going to be amazing. Joe Castillo, who came in fifth in his season of America's Got Talent, is going to be here. And he's going to be sharing his sand art. It's going to be amazing. He used to be in ministry. He's going to be sharing his testimony. And he's going to be helping kids understand what it really means to put their faith and hope in Jesus. It's, it's going to be just incredible. But we're going to need about 100 volunteers to be able to pull this off. And some of you guys are like going, ah, kids, I really don't like kids. How do I be generous with my time when I don't even like kids? We have plenty of opportunity for you 
to be doing things in the behind the scenes preparing for, even doing things that day, where the people that are going to be interacting with kids directly, that they're going to be coming to you and helping and getting things from you that you've been working on and helping with. There's so many different ways for you to be able to plug in and help pull this thing off. And it's going to allow us to have a major impact on our community, that, that we want to be a church that's known by our community, that we love people, that that's what we do, and that this is one of the ways that we get to do that. So I just want to encourage you, find ways that you can be generous and watch what comes back your way. I, I want to leave you with this. As, as you think through what we've talked about, the, these seven different areas of making sense with sense. I want you to identify what, what are two of these that, that we're just doing well. I'm doing well or we're doing well as a household. Identify to we're doing well here. Keep it up. And what are two of these that you need to go yeah those are two I need to work on. Those are two that I'm going to make a priority and I'm just going to rattle back through this in case you want to take note of what these are so that you can look to make sense with sense. It's store up for the future. Choose people over profit. That you would be careful about borrowing. Don't accept bribes. That you wouldn't do that. That provide for the poor. Caution in co-signing. And give generously. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for all of this instruction that we've gotten throughout this whole series. Thank you for just the way that you poured out your wisdom on Solomon and that he took the time to write a set of instruction for his sons and that we get to eavesdrop on these and get to see these and get to put these principles into play. God, help us to be wise in applying what we do that, that, that we would rightly apply this knowledge that we've been looking at and that we would grow in our faith journey and that through that, that we'll become even more of the person that you've created us to be. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.